0: if you have your bibles please turn with me to the book of i can't hear you the book of matthew oh you guys are all giving me the crazy no turn to the book of john turn to the book of john chapter 12 john chapter 12 we we'll continue on in our series, The Gospel According to John. These things were written so that we would believe, John said. Now, we've looked at all of these different instances in this book so far, but we're coming to the very main passage of Scripture that many of our Bibles probably list as the triumphant entry of Christ. The triumphant entry of Christ. Now, for those of you who are gold star students, I need you to please flip over to Matthew chapter 26, and I want you to hold your spot in Matthew chapter 26. We're going to get there uh, in just a few minutes. Now, as we approach Easter... As we approach Resurrection Sunday, I wanted to take us on a little bit of a journey through the scenes that surround the last days of Christ's ministry here on earth. Now, most of us, if we've been in church any length of time, uh, we know that when it comes to the final days of Jesus, there are certain people that are associated uh, with what is taking place in Scripture. And I want to just uh, give us some context and and fill us in on some of these people just to refresh our memory. So one of the first groups of people that we're going to see in the final days of Jesus' ministry here on this earth are the Jewish people. The group uh, of people that are long awaiting their king to arrive, but they are confused by what Jesus' mission and goal is by his return to Jerusalem. Second, we have the Roman leaders. We have, we have the people who uh, most of the known world at that time was under their rule, under the Roman uh, leadership. So we have Pilate. Do you guys remember that guy? We have Herod. you remember that guy? What, what about uh, the guards, the Roman guards, the soldiers? What about the centurion? These are all the men who played a role in the death of Jesus, you know, the crucifixion, and I'm going to kind of chase a rabbit trail for just a moment here. Um, in our culture, we have a tendency to, to flaunt um, our crosses on our necklaces and on our bracelets and on our tattoos. And I always think to myself, I wonder if people truly understand that the cross was the cruelest form of punishment and death for a person under roman law the cruelest form i wonder if our day and age if we would wear uh, you know an injection needle on a necklace because that's our cruelest form of punishment today is i just wondered because the, the cross was meant to be uh, torture for the guilty They would be publicly shamed and beaten and scourged, meaning the skin would be ripped from their flesh. And then they were meant to carry that cross all the way through the city as blood spilt out on a dirt road. And then they were taken and they were laid upon the cross and nails were driven into their wrists or their hands and to their feet. And then they were meant to hung, most agonizing in pain for death days before they were lifeless. So just next time you go to buy a cross or you put one on, make sure you think about what that cross stands for before you just flaunt it like this is my piece of Christianity here. So you have the the Jews, you have the Roman leaders, and then you have the religious leaders, The, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the high priest, the chief priests, the captains, the elders, the men who were leading people away from God. They were angry with Christ. They plotted his, his arrest. They even got the help of one of Jesus' own disciples, Judas. They convinced the Roman rulers to kill Jesus. And then you had the disciples, the men, some related from various walks of life, but they were the group that followed Jesus and ministered with him for three years. And then lastly, Jesus himself, God's only begotten son, our savior, the center of this entire account The reason why we gather here on Sunday mornings to worship, to hear truth. The reason why we gather Christ today is called Palm Sunday because it's the time in scripture that Christ made his triumphant entrance into Jerusalem. And and palm branches played a, a very important role on this day. The palm branch was a symbol of victory in that day and age. And it would be waved as the king who just won in battle would proceed through town. The the, the palm branches would be waved. Later on, those same palm branches would be used to burn down. And then the next year, as they began to observe the Lenten season, Those same palm branches, the ashes that were from them would be mixed with oil and they would be placed upon the head of an individual as they began to walk through what it meant to give up something in their life. And here we see this picture of Jesus. So if you would, turn with me to John chapter 12. We're going to pick up in verse number 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come To the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to remember this is following the rising of Lazarus. All of these people have seen Jesus bring someone back from the dead after four days. So, look with me now at verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him and they cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, oh, to to, to fulfill. This, This was a prophecy that Jesus was coming to fulfill at this very moment. So he sat on this donkey, just as it was written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. Now the, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees, now do not miss this part. It's important. The Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world is going after him. The world is going after him, and this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we come to you humbly this morning in this place as we begin to dive into this portion of Scripture and, and one that's adjacent to it, another gospel writer that gives us a better picture of some things that come because of this entry into Jerusalem. And so, God, I'm asking in this place right now, that the Holy Spirit would move in such a way that, that we would not sit and that your word would not fall upon deaf ears. God, we, we are so familiar with these portions of scripture, but God, I'm asking because we know that your word is active and it's alive, that you would show us something fresh and something new in this place, that you would minister to us so that we would become so uncomfortable where we sit, God, that we must run to you. That we must come to you. Your word tells us that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And that's the only way, God, that we're able to resist the devil and make him flee from us. And so, Lord, use these truths this morning to pierce the innermost parts, the depths of our heart and soul. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. I find it interesting in this portion of scripture that the people were singing songs about Jesus. We see the excitement of the the people as Jesus comes riding in. Hosanna! Hosanna! They're shouting, but not everyone is joyous. Not everyone has the same thoughts. You know, some of these very people soon would be shouting, Crucify! Crucify! The men that were plotting to kill Jesus were in a long line of other men that by the very nature of their position should have been welcoming Jesus into their circle. They should have called him and said we want to be with you but like so many before them nobody wanted to hear the message of God. They led people astray. They caused nations to reject the truth of God's word. Matthew himself said in Matthew chapter 23 Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kills the prophet, and stones them which are sent of me. How often would I have gathered your children under my wing or together as a hen gathers her chicks? And he says, and you would not. With all of the tension that's building in Scripture with Jesus just days before his death, a crisis comes into the picture for the disciples. A crisis I want you to now turn with me over to Matthew chapter 26, and I want us to look at this crisis that happens. And there are some things here in Scripture that I feel that we need to take um, and go from here today to solidify some things in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own relationships with Jesus Christ. We're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. So this is following the Passover dinner. The institution of the Lord's Supper. They had had sung together. They went to the Mount of Olives. And now look at verse 31. And Jesus says to them, You will fall away because of me this night. What? You will fall away because of me this night? That doesn't make any sense. But he says, For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. As I read this, I can almost hear the pridefulness in Peter's voice. I will never fall away, Lord. And so Jesus says, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter says to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. And Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, so James and John, he began to be sorrowful and he troubled. And he says to them, My soul is very sorrowful. Even to death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Would you guys agree with that? Look at verse 42, again for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and he said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going and see my betrayer is at hand. Now I want us to stop right there. I find something very unique in this portion of scripture. Right out of the gate there is key to something Jesus says in verse 31. He says, you will fall away because of me this night. You will fall away. Church, I need everyone to put on their spiritual seatbelts with me for just a moment. Put them on. I want you to reach aside to you and I want you to put your spiritual seatbelt on because we're about to get offended. We're about to be offended by scripture. We're about to face a crisis here in our life. A crisis that is going to boil down to this. Do you believe? And will you continue to follow? Did you notice at the end of John the Pharisees were talking amongst themselves and they said the whole world is going after him. I mean, to the point, Jesus is popular. People are shouting and singing his praises. They're laying down palm branches for their coming king. So what do you mean, pastor? What do you mean offended? How? Why? Why a crisis now? It seems like everything is going well. How could we ever be offended and leave Jesus? How could we ever be offended? Do you know, the, the end of this crisis reveals things, not only about these men, but I believe about us as well. And there are some things I want us to learn from this crisis. The first thing is is that we have a constant need of dying to self. We have a constant need of dying to self. Do you know Jesus prepared himself to go to the cross, and he was reminding his men and us that there is a continual need to die to ourselves. Do you hear what Christ prayed? He said he prayed over and over, if this cup can pass, let it, Lord, but your will be done, not mine, your will. And he prayed it, it says he prayed it over and over. These men, just like us, need to have a real, honest heart check. This morning in church an honest awareness of our weakness and our sin church i want you to write something down and i don't want you to forget it it is easy it is easy to proclaim your commitment to follow christ where he is popular it's easy to claim that commitment where christ is popular i mean to this point in scripture the entire world is going after jesus He's popular. People are jumping on the bandwagon of that which is Christ. Listen, church, church, it is easy to be a Christian right here in this building. It is easy to be a Christian in these four walls. It's easy to make all sorts of claims and promises and commitments inside these four walls. Why? Because Jesus is popular here. Jesus is popular right here. He's loved here in this building. He is praised here in this building. I mean, Jesus, I could never offend. I could never be offended by your truth. Church, are you sure about that? You heard what Peter and all of the other disciples were saying, but after they arrested Jesus and the altercation occurs, we're going to see in Scripture that they all fled. They all ran away. Look with me now down to verse number 56. But all this had taken place that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled, and then all the disciples left and fled. They left him and they fled. Like what? What just happened in scripture? Just a few moments ago, they were saying, Christ, we will not deny We'll die for you but we will not deny you. And here they are running away. So how could these men, how could these men who had been with him for three straight years suddenly find themselves forsaking Jesus? How could they find themselves fleeing away from Jesus? Now I know what all of you are thinking. Because I thought it. I thought it. As I was reading this, I thought to myself multiple different things. Initially, out of the gate, I began to question, would I be like the disciples? Would I flee in the moment of crisis? A question that I believe that we should all wrestle with in this room. Would I flee in the midst of the pain and the hardship in the trial? But then, in my flesh, I wanted to start poking at the disciples, right? Right? or just me, I'm the only sinner in here today, right? We hear the disciples and we want to start like, oh, I can't believe that. I'd never, I'd never say what Peter said. I'd never ever do what, I would never doubt like Thomas. That's not, I would never. Well, guess what? Before we fillet these guys, okay, before we fillet them, I'm going to make a grand statement here that we're probably not going to like. I I believe that every single person in here, if we're completely honest, have had moments and seasons where we have left Jesus standing. Every single one of us. Where we have forsaken Christ for some sin. A moment when we've been unfaithful for these disciples, that the cost of discipleship was too high. And so they fled. I would encourage you, if you have never, ever had um, the opportunity to read The High Cost of Discipleship by Diedrich Bonhoeffer, go get a copy of it and read it. Go get a copy and read it, The High Cost of Discipleship. Church, when, when the pressure is on, we find out where our faith is. When the pressure is on, we find out where our faith is. Christ was arrested and those who were with him were no doubt going to be arrested next. Things were going sideways and I can no doubt imagine that the disciples are like, Jesus, why are you not intervening? Why are you allowing these things to happen? Like Jesus, how? How could this be happening? Everyone find themselves there before? How could this be happening, Jesus? Questions? about our faith will always begin to surface when the crisis strikes our life someone once told me several years ago i want to say my first or my second year in ministry i was sitting with a mentor friend of mine and um he we, we were just kind of rattling off different stuff about the Bible and things that were happening in our lives. And, and there was something going on within me spiritually. And, and I knew that the Holy Spirit was, was trying to work. And, and I just felt like things were crumbling down all around me. And he knew the entirety of the situation. And he goes, Josh, I have to tell you something. And he said, and I don't want you to ever forget this. Christians are like tea bags. And I was like, What? And I'm thinking to myself, "What?" And he said, "You don't know what's inside of them until they're in hot water." And I was like, "Man, I never thought about it." He said, I never forgot that. Right? The believer is like a tea bag. We don't know what truly is inside of us until we're in the midst of that hot water, the midst of that pain, the midst of that crisis, the midst of that terrible situation in loss, and, and death and divorce and pain, and suffering, and trials, in some way, we don't know, and if there's a, if you ever come to a place, well, I am, I am an analytical mind, I, I analyze every single thing that happens, and occurs sometimes to my own demise, and if you're like me, when we can't come uh, f- through human efforts to, to fix the problem, or to comprehend what's going on, or how, or why, we start to feel pressure, We start to feel it because we can't comprehend it. We can't come with a solution. And that is why Jesus told the disciples to pray. That's why he told them to pray. Jesus knew something was coming. He knew that there was a crisis that was about to shake them. A crisis. I was telling the prayer team downstairs that when we fail in our prayer moments we will fail in our pressure moments. When we fail in our prayer moments we will fail in our pressure moments. Christ told the disciples to pray and what did they do church? What did the disciples do? They fell asleep. But just before they fell asleep, you could almost hear the pridefulness in Peter's voice. Lord, I, I, I will die for you, but I will never deny you. I will never deny you. Listen, prideful attitudes will always equal an absence of prayer. Prideful attitudes will always equal an absence of prayer. Why? Because we think we got it. We think we've got it all figured out. We got it all all handled. Jesus Said, could you not pray for one hour? Man, I read that and I felt like the Holy Spirit pricked me right in the heart. And I thought to myself, could I pray for an hour straight? Could I? Could you? Could we pray for a complete hour? Listen, some of us will get squeamish after 30 seconds. If we're I mean if we're honest. If we're on, could we really pray for an hour? Listen, our faith failures are always a normal, direct result of our prayer failures. Our prayer failures are the things that will lead to our faith failures, church. Prayer failures. But why would we fail to pray? Why would we even want to fail to pray? I scratch my head when people talk to me about their lack of prayer. That's the one way that we get to connect with our creator and our savior. We've been given access. We are told that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. And yet we rarely use it. And when we do use it, we're typically abusing it. Why? Time spent in prayer will enable us to pass the pressures of life it will enable us but there are reactions that we can see in people that reveal we are unprepared to handle a crisis there are some reactions they're going to hit the screen really quickly as i go through them there's going to be three that i point out three reactions that reveal that we are unprepared for a crisis the first one is we become impulsive We become impulsive. These guys boasted that they would never leave Jesus. Listen, good intentions are not a substitute for spiritual strength. Okay, church, don't forget, they were completely unprepared. They were overconfident, and they failed to seek God in prayer for strength, and the result left them feeling powerless. And the outcome was that when they were tested, they took off running. They fleed away from Jesus Christ. And the reality is, is that when we live... When we live by our emotions and not truth, we get caught and stuck in our circumstances. When we live by emotions and not truth, we become impulsive. We react in a manner that reveals our lack of faith. The second is we become impatient. We become impatient. You know, when things did not go as they planned or that they thought they should, they tried to take matters into their own hands, literally. Peter chopped off somebody's ear. He chopped it off. He grabbed a sword and just sliced. And I think to myself at times, uh, the first time I was preaching on this, I thought to myself, how did Peter just get the ear? Like, that's got to take some skill to just take off the ear uh, of somebody. Um, But but the the thing is, is instead of waiting on God to reveal what was next, they reacted in a sinful manner. Why? Because they couldn't control their situation. They couldn't control it. The reality is, is that we cannot run from our trials and our crises. We can't run from them. And the last thing that we see is impulsiveness and impatience, but we also become Immature. We become immature. I mean, honestly, the, the way that Peter reacts in Scripture is perhaps how many of us react when things don't go our way, though, right? Oh, We, we use our fleshly power instead of trusting in God's power. Well, we use our flesh, you know, our weapons, our fleshly weapons are always going to be ineffective compared to the power of God. Always, But when the crises come, and come they will, we're reminded of our need for Christ because he's the only one who can sustain us in the midst of those problems, in the midst of those pain. So when we die to self, when we die to self, we're able to tap into the power of God. Tap in. Now, you don't become like a God, okay? Don't take the bait of Satan. All right, you don't become like a God, but you can tap into the power of God in and through you. Now, our crisis has show us a constant need to die to self. But the second thing I want us to see here is that a crisis reveals our commitment to following Christ. Our commitment to following Christ. I want to switch gears. So I'll give you guys just a second for those of you who are avid note takers. I want us to switch gears for a moment and I want us to think in probably uncomfortable and awkward terms. Is everybody good? Okay. I want us to think in uncomfortable and awkward terms so I want your attention right up here for just a moment. What would it take? What would it take to get you to stop following Jesus? What's a deal breaker for you? What what is it? What would offend you so much in your life to the point where you would turn away from Jesus? Don't answer out loud. I want you to think about it. You know, one of the primary reasons the disciples failed and the primary reason we fail is because we have placed too much faith in ourselves and not enough in God. We see it all throughout scripture. Jesus is headed to trial and the Bible says that Peter followed afar off. A far off did Peter follow? And in some it says that he was far behind or he was following from a distance. The next thing you know, he's denying Jesus. Shortly after that, not once, not twice, but three times does he deny Christ. Church, remember, distance from Christ will always lead to denying Christ. Distance from Christ will always lead to denying Christ. We're seeing it right now in our culture. Right now, to this very day, we're seeing over and over and over churches, even, that are distancing themselves from truth. And guess what? They're leading to a denial of the very thing that Christ is and the very thing that he stands for. Church, the the Bible speaks more about hell and sinfulness than it does about God's love. But we, have, we in our culture, our society wants to reverse that. We hear all the time, God is love, 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 and it's so ingrained into our culture, but guess what? We can't leave all of the other characteristics of God out. Church, you can't take God's love and leave God's justice. He is both equally all the time encapsulated of that, just as he is omniscient and omnipresent and immutable. Those are all characteristics of God, and that's who he is at all times. Our culture is is warping the thoughts of our children. Right now, currently, we're seeing it more and more and more on TV and commercials, even on children's channels, we're seeing it. There is an act by which Satan is using our televisions and Satan is using our music and Satan is using even now our churches to get people to deny the truths of God's word. I'm going to make this very clear. While I'm here as your pastor, I will preach every inch of this Bible because that's what I was called to do and as believers we are called to follow every inch of this bible every single word is inspired by god himself go back and read what paul wrote to timothy every word that means everything on marriage everything on abortion everything on homosexuality everything on drugs and alcohol on on overeating or not eating enough everything on sinfulness and life that is talked about in this bible is all truth and we should follow all truth church until we understand that we must follow all that truth we could be led astray like paul talked about we could follow every wind of doctrine that comes unless we're solid on the foundation of jesus christ the foundation of Jesus Christ you and I cannot claim fellowship and faithfulness to Christ when we're following from afar off we can't church if if, if we're dabbling in the things of worldliness if they're in our homes if they're taking up our time and our money we can't claim fellowship with Christ and be on the fence with the world it doesn't work that way we saw that in the old testament I believe Elijah himself made it very clear in first kings chapter 18 when, when are you going to stop straddling he he asked the Israelites when when are you going to follow the, the 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 gods of Baal and Ashtaroth? is that what you're going to do or are you going to follow the true, the true God? You have to get off the fence, Christian. It is Palm Sunday, and these people in the Bible were waving their palm branches to their king, but then later they would call out, Crucify. And so, church, church, Christian, follower, believer in this room, get off the fence. It's Palm Sunday. We can, we can stand and make our allegiance to Christ right now in this place. Or we can walk out and still have our hand in the world. But guess what? Worldliness is going to draw you further and further away from truth. And that truth is the only thing that's going to get you all the way there. That's how we persevere in this life. You guys probably get annoyed with me saying this, but the Bible tells us that the way is narrow. And there are few who will follow it. Few Who will follow it? Man, but broad is the way that leads to destruction. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. That is a scary path to be on, church. Scary path. The reality is is that we have all at some point or another denied Christ we we've heard that rooster crow and the reminder of what we said or what we promised or what we did and it begins to ring in our ears and the question is is how do we respond how do we respond what what is the reaction that we have i want you to go with me to the very last verse of chapter 26 actually we'll go we'll go to verse 74, 74. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know that man. This is Peter denying Christ. And immediately the rooster crowed. And what happened? And Peter remembered the sayings of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. But what, is it, what does it say? And it says that he went out and he wept bitterly. He went out and he wept bitterly. Peter's response was to weep bitter tears over his sinfulness. What's yours? What is yours, church? Are we broken and crushed when we fail? I believe Paul said it best when he said that godly sorrow works repentance, but earthly sorrow works death. Do we take the mentality, oh, well, God forgives, I'll try harder next time? What's the big deal? Everybody fails, even the pastor. You're right. You're right. I stand on this platform a wretched sinner. Just like the next person. But here, herein lies the, the point and the question all in one. It's gonna hit the screen for you. A question that you need to ask of yourselves: Is there a, a pattern of denial in my life towards Christ, or is there a pattern of allegiance to Christ? Is there a pattern of denial? to the things of Christ or is there a pattern of allegiance you know at at this point let's just think for a minute about what Peter is doing it says that he was weeping bitter tears he's repenting you know David wrote in Psalm 38 for I will declare my iniquity and I will be sorrow filled for my sin." You know, ultimately, we know that Peter was restored, especially if you've read through the gospel accounts. He's reconciled to Christ. His relationship was made right because of the cross. So for every crisis we have, for every crisis that we have, we're reminded of our need for Christ. We're reminded of, of his work on the cross. The work that was only there because of sinfulness. So when a crisis comes, we're each confronted with a choice. Each and every one of us. We either follow Christ or we follow the world. We follow Christ Or we follow the world. So if we follow our own feelings and emotions, guess what? You're following worldliness. Because most most generally, our feelings and emotions are not based on truth. We're blinded, quite often, by our own baggage. We're blinded by our own offenses, the things that people have done, our own pain. We're blinded. We become short-sighted quite frequently in our pain. We can look to the cross and die to self or we can look to others or to drugs, to alcohol, to relationships and live a confused life. Those are the choices at at the end. Do you know what what the the crisis here produced in Peter and the others? A closer and deeper faith in God. A stronger and, and more vibrant relationship with him. Do you know that the disciples all went on to be martyred unto death for Christ? Even even doubting Thomas himself was martyred. Peter hung upside down on a cross. James all of them every single One of them, John, was the only one who was able to make it. (laughs) And he was exiled on an island. Which is where we get some of the most beautiful works of John. The book of Revelation being one specifically. There's one last thing, church, I want you to write down. One last thing It's going to hit the screens for you. A crisis reveals a lot about our character, but it will also define our relationship with Christ. You know, ultimately, Peter ran back to Jesus. I'm not sure if we'll have an opportunity in this series to look, but they they went back to becoming fishermen after Christ. They went back, and Jesus is standing on the shore after he's resurrected. And Peter recognizes him, and he jumps off of the boat and into the water to meet Jesus on the shoreline. I could imagine it right now, the embrace of Christ after his resurrection, and Peter being reminded that his, his life is now reconciled back to God. But I think on the other side of that, Peter, Peter ran back to Jesus, but, but Judas selfishly killed himself he ran away from jesus he ran away so i'm going to ask you three questions as we close church and i'm going to challenge each one of us to do something in here and in that time of challenge i'm going to ask us to stay in an attitude of prayer i'm going to invite in just a moment the worship team to come up we're going to close in a song today But there's three questions that we need to reflect upon as we walk into our passion week. As we come to Good Friday, as we come to Resurrection Sunday. And these are the three questions. Have you had that defining moment with Jesus recently? The defining, the moment where you've come and you said, I'm laying it all down. I don't want anything in this life unless it belongs to you, God. Have you had that? I'm I'm not just talking about salvation. That may be salvation for you. You may be in here, listen, statistically speaking, statistically speaking, there's 20% of this congregation who's not going to heaven. Just statistically speaking. So maybe you're in here, and that defining moment is saying, "I'm, I'm giving it all up because I want to be saved. I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to get away from this ugly sinner that is inside of me, and I want to become like Christ. I want to put on the righteousness of Christ. I want to look different. Now, one of my favorite songs that I will listen to any day, any hour, is the song by Micah Tyler that says, I want to be different. I want to be changed so that all of me is gone, and all that remains is a fire so bright that the whole world can see that they can be different. Why? Because you've come and been different inside of me. Because you've been different in me. So have you had that that defining moment? Just because you've been a Christian for 35 years doesn't mean you can't keep having defining moments. Have you determined, church, in this place that you're going to follow him no matter what? no matter what relationship walks away, no matter what person turns against you, no matter what offense, no matter what comes, no matter what our government does, no matter what your job does, no matter who's sitting as the president of this country, or who's the governor, no matter what, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow. And then the last question I would challenge you with is, is your faith in yourself or is your faith in God? Is your faith in yourself? Or is your faith in God? You'll know that answer by how you react and respond to the things in your life. And so church, I'm, I'm going to ask the worship team to come at this time. I'm going to ask each and every one of you to take a few moments of time while we're sitting in this room and begin to work through those questions. Maybe, maybe you need to come here to the altar and you need to get alone with God. Maybe you need to sit at your seat. Maybe you need to get down on your hands and knees in this place. You don't have to wait for, for anybody, you don't have to um, be embarrassed in this place. We're, we're a house of sinners right here. We've all been saved by grace. But maybe, just maybe, you're in here and you don't know the Lord. You don't have a, relation, a relationship with Him. You, you've not felt the, the warming touch of salvation and grace and mercy in your life. And if that's you, I'm going to ask everyone with the heads bowed and, and eyes closed. If that's you in this room today, you don't have a relationship with Christ, and you're saying, Pastor, how do I get saved? How do I receive that grace? Because I want to be different. I don't want to be the same. I don't want to be worldly. I want to follow Jesus. Well, guess what? There is no magic sinner's prayer. Hate to burst your bubble, there is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. That's you recognizing that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Crying out and and saying that you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the perfect, sinless Jesus. He's the only one that can save you. He's the only way. The only way to heaven is through Christ. That's you crying out right now. You don't have to say anything special. You don't have to come out, uh, out here in the front. You don't have to get on this stage To come to the saving grace of Jesus. Just cry out to him right now. He knows your heart. He sees your life. Don't be embarrassed in this place. To say I I don't know Jesus. But I want to know him. Because guess what? That will be the greatest decision. That you ever make in your entire life. Is to have Christ. Or maybe you're in here and, and you're the Christian who, who's straight in some areas. And this moment of time here in just, just a few seconds as we begin to sing this song is the is time for you to make it right. To, to weep bitterly over your sin like Peter did. To, to ask myself, am I truly following Christ or do I have more faith in me? If you're in here this morning, and that first group of people, the, the, the people who don't know Christ or who wanted to receive the gift of salvation. If that's you, if you cried out to God in this place, would you just look at me? Would you just look at me? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you. I want to be able to rejoice. If you prayed for salvation in this place, will you just look at me all across this room, front to back, front to back? Thank you.